Welcome to Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. I'm your aptly named host of your favorite hebdomadal podcast. Oh, I'm glad you're with me. I'd get slapped with a diagnosis of aphrasia because I cannot bring myself to say the words you missed this week's show. 2023 Fundraising Outlook. One Causes Research Study includes insights to help you benchmark, plan, prioritize, and improve your nonprofit's fundraising this year. From One Cause, Sarah Sebastian and Steve Lausch talk us through. On Tony's Take Two, webinars galore. Here is 2023 Fundraising Outlook. It's a pleasure to welcome to Nonprofit Radio Steve Lausch and Sarah Sebastian, both from One Cause. Steve Lausch is Director of Product Marketing at One Cause, where he brings 17 years of experience in automotive retail, customer relationship management, and marketing technology. Sarah Sebastian at One Cause is Director of Corporate Communications. She's a marketer with eight years of experience in the nonprofit tech space. The company is at One Cause and at onecause.com. Steve, Sarah, welcome to Nonprofit Radio. Good to, good to be here with you, Tony. Yeah, thank you. It's great to be here talking to you today. Appreciate well, it. Pleasure to have both of you. Thank you. And we're talking about the 2023 fundraising outlook. Who's the best person to talk about you know, just an overview of, uh, of this of the study? Definitely well, I, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's unanimous. It's unanimous. I can dive in on that. I mean, this whole project has been such a great uh, partnership with Sarah. Um, but as far as going back to the survey that that uh, fuels the the study, um, this this was I, I'd say I can dive in on that. So this was really the fifth year of developing um, uh, the the study into the size uh, uh, that it has been at one cause, and the third year of releasing the data in such a way that it is uh, served up in the annual fundraising outlook report. So uh, getting some really great re research in our rearview mirror and uh, we're excited to come out again this year with, with this report. Um, maybe to give a little bit more color as to what this report is about and how it works. Um, we kick it off every year, Tony, at our annual conference. Uh, so the One Cause uh, Raise Conference, and it spends about a month in market where nonprofits are engaging and responding to the survey. And this particular year, 890 nonprofits uh, raised their hands and said, hey, we want to weigh in on this. So 890 voices from nonprofits let's of call all it, shapes. Let's just, let's just call it 900. 900. It it is. friends. <laughs> 900. You got, you got 900. All right. 900, all shapes, all sizes, all segments. Um, we even did some really cool uh, cross-tabulation looking at annual operating revenue. I'm sure we'll talk about that at, at some level. But, you know, and every year we ask ourselves as well, Tony, are we are we getting the right voices? Are we getting the right um, uh, inputs so that we're capturing all the right information that is helpful to nonprofits? And this year in particular, nearly 30% were executive directors. 31% dev directors and dev uh, development VPs uh, had a great voice from event directors and marketing professionals. Uh, so we really are getting uh, the right voices. In fact, 81% of those who responded 
are involved in making a technology decision. They may even be the ones pulling the trigger mm -hmm. on deciding how we're going to move forward in the next year with technology to help drive our nonprofit mission. And uh, a lot of that goes to fundraising, as we'll talk about. I also uh, appreciate that the, the population is very much in line with, with our listeners, you know, small and mid-sized shops. I see 48% have uh, revenue of a million dollars or less annual annual your your annual operating revenue a million dollars or less and and thirty one percent so a third basically uh, three hundred fifty thousand or less. Mm -hmm. It is and so was, important to to have the representation of that beautiful broad, I call it this broad base of the nonprofit world that is just those who are maybe just getting started in their garage or their bedroom or wherever they happen to be, but they have a passion for their mission. And maybe those that are starting to add more and more volunteers, perhaps that first, second or third full-time employee, but whatever it is, it is that beautiful broad base of the, of the, of the nonprofit world that we're looking at. 11% uh, uh, were all volunteer. So just like a 10th or don't even have full-time yeah. employees. And I saw 49% uh, have 10 full-time employees or fewer. Mm -hmm. So perfectly in line with uh, with our listeners. Uh, now, there are, there are large organizations represented, uh, over $50 million in revenue. Um, if there are any of those folks listening, uh, let me know and I will, I will shout you out because I bet, I bet the list is small. Most of the vast, vast majority, vast, vast, overwhelming majority of our listeners are in small and mid-sized shops. So those, those are, um, those are where uh, oh, I'm channeling. Um, let's define this, uh, this, this, it was a little unusual to me, the, the, the AOR, which I look at as uh, album oriented rock, but that's because I work up, I was raised on rock and roll. So, but that's not what you mean by AOR annual operating revenue. So, I mean, is that annual budget? Uh, Sarah, is that, is that annual budget or, or is that something different? What's annual operating revenue? Cause you segment by, by this AOR. So it's important for us to understand. Mm -hmm. So annual operating revenue, how much money folks are bringing in. And then when we touch on budget, how much obviously they're able to spend for the year. And I think some of the stuff that you just touched on, you're talking about like the, the volunteer numbers and everything that's really going to come out when we get into some of the challenges, some of those smaller organizations with uh, the smaller annual operating revenues are really going to be um, feeling a little bit of a pinch in some of these areas uh, that we'll take a look at. Uh, so I think it'll definitely be some good data for uh, the audience uh, at home right now. Is it fair to to just call, not, I'm not going to change the term on you, but is budget. it fair to call <laughs> annual operating revenue, like just annual fundraising revenue? Yes, that, absolutely. Mm -hmm. it's, it's the fundraising revenue. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. okay. okay. Report calls it the uh, annual operating revenue. All right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You'll see AOR um, throughout if you do download. Yep. Okay. Um. So let's dive in uh, uh, a bit. I, I see uh, I see some challenges facing nonprofits uh, of of all sizes. Really, this was this was kind of interesting to me. Um, the the challenges that are rated sort of critical, critical, and definitely a concern. I mean, they cut across all the all the all the uh, the annual operating revenue segments, like. Donor engagement, all, all, all five of your segments, all six of your segments rate donor engagement as a, as a, as a top five problem. Right, and and yeah. donor fatigue shows up in five of the six categories. Mm -hmm. so, so 
what do we what do we know about donor donor issues? Sure. So things things have changed a lot since the last study. Uh, so the challenges that were related to planning around the pandemic dropped significantly because those were at the top of the list in past couple of years surveys. But don't get us wrong; like we're not saying it's not a challenge anymore. It's obviously still a challenge. Seventy one percent reported that planning related to the pandemic was still challenging for them but it dropped from number one to number 10 in the list. And those donor-related challenges that you just mentioned, those are coming back to the top. People are starting to feel a little bit of relief and they're able to shift back to donor engagement, worrying about, hey, are we fatiguing our donors with all of this messaging and everything that they've been through over the past few years? And donor retention is coming back up into that top four too. Um, Recurring giving was something we saw uh, that came out as a top challenge as well. And for the view of challenges that you'll see in the report first, where everything's kind of rated, it was folks who rated items as critical, definitely a concern, or somewhat a problem. And that's where we came up with that donor engagement, donor fatigue, the recurring giving, and donor retention were all there in the top four. So things have changed a lot. Steve, did you have anything uh, like a little bit of color from the past or anything about like varying sizes, how that differed? Well, let's start. Let's start with sizes, and then I think there is something to be learned as we look longitudinally uh, over this study over the past few years. But in, as we looked at nonprofits of varying sizes, again by that annual operating revenue marker, uh, that donor retention really fell into became notable in the top two places for orgs that were a million dollars uh, AOR and above. And then, excuse me, looking at uh, the top three places really, Tony, for most of the market, so we'll call that the 350,000 AOR all the way up the scale, um, recurring giving was something that became very much apparent in that. And and I'll say real quick, um, as your audience accesses this report and downloads it, there's a, there's a lot of data right in this one question and becomes very visibly and visually uh, better understood when you kind of see it, how we've laid it out. So uh, I know we're throwing a lot of numbers, a lot of information, but boy, donor fatigue was definitely the top voiced concern that made it into the top five concerns for every segment. Uh, every strata of the nonprofit nonprofit world. Um, what's interesting about that for me, though, is that while retention has a number we put on it, um, while recurring giving has a number that we put on it, fatigue is a lot more of a perception metric, and uh, I, I, it's it's interesting to me that 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 had uh, such. Um, importance placed on that particular metric as you look at the data. Now, I'll also say really quickly, we saw staff turnover work its way into the top five challenges, especially as you kind of go up uh, into yeah, those the larger were, That was for the larger, right? Staff turnover was for the larger. You got market. it. Yeah. yeah well, you know, over $50 million, they've got hundreds of employees. Well, and look what happened over the last two years, right? I mean, things yeah. Talk about upset the apple cart, right? And that that large organization perhaps felt the 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 need for agility more and uh, the need for finding out how do we get through this and with such a large staff. It, it's just it was it was an unfortunate story we don't have to dwell on here today. The good news is that um is that those nonprofits are working through those challenges. I'll also add that acquisition and management of sponsors 
And sponsorships also is a challenge that we've tracked year over year over year over year these last few years. And that has surfaced for a number of the, the segments of nonprofits. So there's some other there's some other color there. But Sarah, you, I'm sure you would agree, uh, having released the report yourself, um, it's far more visually understood uh, for, for those who can access this and download the report. Yeah, I agree. There are a lot of ways to look at especially the challenges um, by breaking it down by revenue level and looking at what's critical or definitely a concern compared to having like the somewhat uh, important mixed in there as well. But I do kind of want to touch on that donor fatigue because we have been hearing a lot about it. And Tony, I don't know if you've heard this throughout your career too, that there's there's been kind of a historical disconnect between nonprofits and donors when it comes to donor fatigue. I've done a few studies at various companies in the past where nonprofits said one thing, they thought they were really fatiguing their donors and donors were like, no, you're not. We want to hear more from you. Mm. But I think what it comes down to that's important here is that you have to remember that the communications that you are sending out, if they're engaging, they're worthwhile, they're giving something to your donor, then they're not going to be fatigued. I know around like holiday giving season, even on LinkedIn, I noticed there were a lot of folks popping on like consultants saying, I got this many emails from this, these nonprofits. It's too many emails. And oddly enough, a couple of donors popped in. They were like, oh, I, I liked getting those emails. They told me what was happening, like how much they were raising from their Giving Tuesday campaigns, et cetera. So as long as you're giving them something that they want to hear, I think they're going to stay engaged. They're not going to get fatigued. Have you heard no. anything about that? Uh, from some guests. Yes. Um, first let's use this opportunity to remind folks or or, or let them know where they can get the, get the study because uh, it's, it's very visually engaging as both of you had said. So uh, onecause.com. And then what do we go after that? Sure. It's onecause.com backslash research. And you'll find the study there. There are a lot of other resources on our website as well, uh, as well as past reports. So if you want to dig in and compare to past reports as well, they're on that site. Okay. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Thank sure. you. Um, all right. So this idea of the fatigue, you know, as as Steve said, it's it's a perception. It's it's not something measurable, but it's it's a perception internally, right, in, in everybody's office. What do you what do you think is what do you think is causing this idea that we're fatiguing our donors where <laughs> Sarah you're saying they actually want more and mm-hmm. and I've heard that also mm-hmm. uh, I've heard that especially among among and about boards members that you know right. we're giving our board members too much no actually they want more mm-hmm. because they they're your key volunteers and they you, the fear is that you're giving them too much yeah um so I've heard it in that respect but we don't have to you know we don't have to stick to board I know that's not your <laughs> that's not the study but that's that's where I've heard it even even more focused mm-hmm. what do you think is causing this belief that we're fatiguing folks right at current state I honestly think we all feel fatigued <laughs> after going through a pandemic going through you know political ups and downs we're still in this big mindset of uncertainty and I know everybody has heard that word a thousand times, but it's still there. And it's just making everyone feel very unsettled and very tired. So I think sometimes that just kind of bleeds over into our everyday interactions. Like we're contributing to it. We, yeah, we, feel like it. we must be doing it too. We must right. be adding onto the pile. But We see it, we feel it, or we must be contributing to it because we send mail and email. All right, mm-hmm. all right. Well, so, Tony, let, I think I think I want to don't jump be in so hard, don't be so hard on yourself. Basically, <laughs> I want to jump in yourself. here real quick. I I do want to I do want to suggest here uh, at this point that fatigue is a it's a complex metric to unpack. 
It is not a simple. I mean, I, I think we could probably spend the next hour kind of um, in, in a in a in a uh, in a conjecture of sorts of of how to unpack this. But fatigue comes because, as Sarah said, it's something we feel elsewhere, and so we translate that to: I'm sending one emails, two emails, five emails. Ergo, my donor base must be fatigued. And uh, when we actually look at the data, as Sarah has said, in fact, some of the great reports that we have available at onecause.com actually give you the perspective of the donor, as is our research done every spring. So this is the nonprofit voice every fall. Compare that to what's going on in the spring with what donors are saying. Yes, they want the communication. I want to see those emails in my inbox. And if I open up one or two of the five, it's okay. I've heard from you and I can digest that. You are not asking too much of me. You are not giving too much to me. It is not the fatigue level that perhaps we are putting on our our shoulders ourselves. Mm -hmm. Sarah, you have many years in your background with Ford Motor Company, right? Steve. Steve. Oh, that's Steve. I, I carry, you know, I, I, you mentioned that in the intro. I carry a good number of years in the automotive retail uh, technology side um, and six years now or coming up on six years in the nonprofit world, two very different worlds. But yes, go ahead, Tony. On, does, on, yeah. right. Do you know, does, does, the, does the Ford Motor Company worry about fatiguing its uh, potential customers? <laughs> like, do they worry about sending too much, to, buying too many ads? sending too many messages to folks who have signed up. Does the Ford Motor Company, uh, do they worry about things like that? I would say in general, the automotive world, uh, perhaps, um, let me say this first. Any good marketer understands the sensitivity around sending the right message at the right time to the right audience for the right response. Any good marketer is. There are perhaps markets in our ecosystem in the world that uh, are more sensitive to doing that. And there are perhaps markets that are less sensitive to doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do find that the automotive world sends a good number of emails and they're perhaps, maybe this is what you're getting at, not as worried about fatiguing me, at least as a recipient. So uh, I'll let you put a bow on that where you were headed, but. Uh, no, that was it. Uh, I just, yeah, I, that was, yeah. that was my suspicion. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I don't talk to uh, fortune 100 folks um, ever, or even, you know, <laughs> so I was seeing it in your background. Uh, I, 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 was, I was curious about it. Um, let's talk some about events. What, uh, Sarah, can you talk about what, what, what uh, is planned? I, mean, I see more, more hybrid being planned. Can mm-hmm. you uh, flesh that out for us? Sure. I think if we start with a little bit of an overview from 2022, it's a helpful kind of foundation. Yeah. Um, so in 2022, 95% of nonprofits who took this survey said that they held at least one online campaign. 93% said they held at least one event in 2022. So vast majority of nonprofits there. And that makes up the bulk of quite a few nonprofits fundraising budget, uh, their revenue for the year. So 56% said that they raised 21% or more of their annual fundraising revenue from online and event fundraising. And a, an additional quarter of those nonprofits said that they raised 41% or more of their annual fundraising budget from event and online fundraising. So it's huge, it's very important. Um, 
And looking back at 2022, as far as how supporters participated in events, I think, Steve, do you want to touch on that data for me? Sure, sure. Absolutely. Yeah, so this was really great to see, Tony. So we asked these nonprofits, how did your supporters participate in your 2022 events? And then followed up with how many of the following fundraising events do you plan to hold in 2023? So we got the look back, we have the look forward. And again, for context, this question was asked and in market with the survey in September. So nonprofits were giving us a good view into most of the year 2022, but they were forecasting into 2023, still sitting in their third quarter of the year. So with that in mind, looking back in 2022, 32% of nonprofits held in-person only events. Now, just I let that just sit for a second. And we look back in the rearview mirror a year or two and to consider how we were in 2020, early 2021. No way we're one in three only having in-person events. So what a great comeback in 2022. One half of uh, nonprofits, 56%, did in fact, as you said earlier, Tony, uh, lean to that hybrid side, which is fantastic. So let me fill in the blanks on the, on the rest here and I'll come back to the hybrid. 9% only virtual, 4% no events at all. And for various reasons, I'm sure. But over 50% hybrid tells me a couple things. You add the only in-person and the 56% hybrid together, and you have a mass of the, of the nonprofit world that is back in the ballroom. But so much of that is, is a, 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 an event that is in consideration of that virtual audience. So we learned from the last three years. We learned that People want to engage with us, uh, with us differently. And so while we're back in the ballroom, we're not going to forget that virtual audience. We're going to include them. It may be for the whole event. It may not be for the whole event. It may just be for the appeal. It may be for other programming that we wanted to share with them. But the great news is that we are back to the ballroom in 2022. Now, that was, of course, last year. What about this year? September, people are answering this survey and they're looking forward and guess how many say we are going to hold an in-person event? 83%. Look forward in time and with such confidence, and Sarah, maybe I'll, uh, you, can, you can elaborate on this. They're willing to say that over 80%, we are absolutely back in the ballroom for at least one in-person only event. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the confidence levels, that was a real takeaway for us, how much they changed uh, confidence levels about in-person events just kind of shot through the roof in this year's survey. Um, nonprofits who said they were undecided about holding those in-person events dropped to 8% this year, down from 20% in last year's survey. So people are feeling really good about heading back to the ballroom, like Steve said. Um, I, saw I saw that golf outings ranked as the number two most common event uh, mm -hmm. after after something social. So I'm assuming that's a, a gala type event. Yes, um, I think at the in-person auction events and then the uh, golf outings were very successful as well. Yes, absolutely. So golf, now golf outings and hybrid, I don't know, can we, uh, I don't know, are they you playing know? like minute, are they playing like golf? <laughs> they have their favorite golf app or they, they're, they're in their, they're in their uh, stroke trainer, you know, maybe it's videoing them while others mm -hmm. are actually playing. I don't know. Can we do a golf outing hybrid? 
I have actually seen, I do not remember the name of the software or the company, but there was a virtual golf software that uh, a nonprofit yeah. was using for an event. So I know it's possible. It's out okay. there. People really made some, as we've all heard, major pivots to, you know, fit the pandemic and our way of life changing. So it's definitely out there. Uh, I'll have to look into that and see if I can get that over uh, to you. Uh, I can find the I name. Mean, you know, the, the dinner, the dinner or the lunch after, I mean, I could see that being a hybrid, but I was just wondering about the, the golf mm-hmm. experience itself. I don't know. Maybe golfers are out there with cams on their GoPros <laughs> on their heads or something. And so you can live vicariously. <laughs> oh, that shot sucked. Oh, you're terrible. Put the camera to somebody else, please. You're awful. It's time for Tony's Take Two. I'm talking a lot about planned giving in January and February. I've got 15 webinars and podcasts on planned giving uh, just in in these like, not even the full two months. It's more like six weeks, January and early February, a uh, cornucopia of webinars, uh, podcasts, a prodigious profusion of podcasts I've got coming up. Uh, lots of content. Um, if you are at all interested in learning about the basics of planned giving, launching planned giving at your nonprofit, then you may very well be interested in this horn of plenty of content that I'm, uh, doing with uh, other folks uh, who are hosting me for webinars and podcasts. You can keep abreast of what I'm doing by following on LinkedIn, or or maybe I should say more correctly, connecting. If you connect with me on LinkedIn, uh, follow me on Twitter. And another way is you could sign up for the nonprofit radio insider alerts at TonyMartinetti.com because I uh, let folks know uh, on on that who who is hosting me and uh, where you can hear me speak. So if you are interested in launching planned giving, planned giving basics, I'm doing a lot of talking about that in January and early February. That is Tony's take two. Imagine that. We've got Buku but loads more time for 2023 Fundraising Outlook with Steve Lausch and Sarah Sebastian. Imagine that. Uh, data. Let's talk about data. You're a data-driven type organization. And what, what uh, you mm-hmm. had some takeaways about uh, data access. Yeah, I think this was our surprise, not surprise moment, really, when we were looking at data, because we all know that a lot of nonprofits do struggle with data, whether there's too much of it or what to do with it. Uh, so we found that making it accessible and actionable just continues to be a concern for nonprofits. We're like, okay, yeah, we know that already. But when we actually saw the numbers, that was kind of the moment where everyone on our team kind of got slack-jawed whenever they heard the stats. Um, so only 18% of nonprofits who took the survey said that they actually have access to all of the data that they need. 18%. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And that they use it to make decisions. Um, and of course, those smaller nonprofits did report having even less access to the data that they do need. So it's a bit of a struggle. And Steve, I think, I know you have 
something to say about it. Oh, I always have something to say. (laughs) (laughs) No, but that's that's dismal. You know, it's one in five. Yeah. One in five. Like if you're sitting down around the table, right, with five nonprofits and one of them says, I have all the data I need. I have it in the place where I need it. And I have it served up to me in a way that I know what to do with it and make a good decision. That's dismal. That's a great word for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then we looked at some other aspects to this, Tony. And okay, if if you do have a lot of data, then what's what's holding you back from using it every day to make meaningful decisions in your fundraising strategy? 26%. So again, another, well, in this case, one in four, I suppose, roughly, so that they don't have the time to form the insights. They have the data, but maybe it's just it's just a matter of time. We all get that. We, especially your audience, as you said, the smaller nonprofit world is, is there's never enough time of the day. So I think there's an opportunity for us, especially as you said, as, as our data providers, um, uh, technology providers that, that work off of data, serve up data, uh, help nonprofits live off data. We need to serve it up in a way that makes sense that it doesn't take time. Another one that I'll share, another one in five, said that they don't know how to form actionable insights. Okay. So I have the data, but again, it's, it's, it's not, and it may even be like right there for me. I don't even need the time to go dig it, you know, into it and pull a report and compare and pivot tables and all that. I just don't even know how to form an actionable insight based on what I'm given. Mm-hmm. Again, I believe that this is on, on us and our world to say, here is what your auction data is telling you. This is a data and, literacy issue then? People not I, feeling comfortable making conclusions from the data that they do have. Is that isn't that isn't that data literacy? I think to some extent it is, but I also think data can be intimidating just because there's so much that can be measured and there's there are a lot of numbers obviously coming out of fundraising. What do I do with all of this? And I think People, especially nonprofits, you know, they have big jobs. They're trying to make the world a better place. They want to do big things. And I think when you're looking at data, you have to narrow in, pick something small first and focus on that. Okay, I've got this piece mastered. Now I can pick another metric and focus on that. And I guess trying to give an example of that, if you have part of your fundraising strategy is to boost your recurring revenue this year. Great. Okay, where do I start? What do I do? What data do I look at? Start by going into your CRM and looking at donors from 2022 who gave maybe three or four times. And I use myself as an example for this because this happened to me. I gave, I think, four or five times to Best Friend Animal at Best Friends Animal Society last year, just throughout the year, as you know, I was giving in honor of friends' pets, my pets, et cetera. They called me after running a, a little campaign and said, Hey, you know, we noticed that you've offered ongoing support last year. Thank you for these gifts of these amounts. Would you consider? become a recurring donor at $25 a month. Why not? Sure. I can, I can spare that. Great. And even with just those, you know, little incremental increases across a couple of hundred people, you're boosting your revenue there. All right. You've boosted revenue using this one small metric that you focus in on. What can you do next? So start small. Don't get too overwhelmed. Try to find somewhere to start. You got to start somewhere. Let me give you a uh, generous softball Shameless self-promotion uh, opportunity because we're talking about data being overwhelming and 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 uh, like frustrating. 
how does uh, how does one cause overcome that? I think softball question. Nobody's yeah, gonna the answer. Great, the great news is we help in a lot of ways. I mean, we help connect nonprofits with more donors. Uh, we help that connection be meaningful in a way that it it uh, truly helps them engage with those donors. And we talked we we talked about donor engagement back when we were looking at that key finding around challenges, Tony. Right. And so once we connect with more donors and engage with more donors and do that through a number of different ways to fundraise, that's one of the things that we found. And maybe I'm getting ahead of myself here, uh, but I know we'll talk about priorities for 2023 that nonprofits have told us about. But looking at new ways to fundraise, to find new donors, acquire new donors, and then use that engagement to retain those donors our nonprofits find that uh, they are more highly satisfied with the technology that they acquire, that they uh, that they purchase, that they use every day, and uh, it drives their mission. And that's what it's all about. I, I tell, um, I'll, I'll give you a little anecdote here, Tony, but tomorrow and every Tuesday, first Tuesday of the month, I help onboard new one, uh, one cause team members that join our, our company. And I tell them, hey, you're going to have, it's work. You're going to have a bad day every now and then. But what we do, even on those bad days, we help make sure that another child is educated. Another family is fed. Uh, we're taking two steps closer to just finding that cure, right? And this is all executed through these amazing nonprofits all over the nation. How do we get involved with that? Exactly what I shared with you before. Helping nonprofits find those donors engage those donors, retain those donors, and building a wonderful relationship that helps build a better tomorrow. Softball question, back at you. Nobody answered. I, oh, I was waiting. Yeah. All right. I'm glad you, thank you for stepping well, in. I, uh, I do have something. I think since I just started talking about focusing on small things, something popped into my head while Steve was talking about connecting with more donors. Yeah. We run a campaign every year called Indie Tech Gives, where companies sign up and fundraise for nonprofits in the Indianapolis area. Um, and we use our peer-to-peer -peer system for that. So we get in there, we use it, we fundraise for, uh, we would fundraise, fundraise for Make-A-Wish Foundation this past year. And looking even in just our peer-to-peer -peer tools, we're talking about starting small. There are little data points in there, even for our donors, where you can track how far your social posts are reaching, how far different campaigns are reaching. So even donors can look and see what's working to get the word out about a campaign and shift their strategies to use that particular social platform or that particular technique. So there are things built in throughout the system to even help donors analyze data, which I think is really interesting and something I haven't seen with uh, a lot of other fundraising platforms, to be honest. So I think right. there's something helpful there. Thank you. All right. Mm -hmm. Let's uh, let's let's go back to the to the fundraising uh, outlook. What what are there? Takeaways are there that we haven't talked about yet that you like to highlight, you think are important for small and mid-sized shops to know, the benchmark against? Sure. I think I would like to touch back on the hybrid fundraising aspect quickly. Quickly calling out again, Steve touched on that 56% held hybrid events in 2022, 32% held in person. And looking at 2023, as nonprofits were looking ahead, 45% said they were going to be holding hybrid events in 2023, okay. which is really good to hear. Um, those hybrid and in-person events were what we saw as most successful budget-wise performing against budget. And when we looked at um, 
how they were performing against their budget, I believe it was 80% who held either an in-person or hybrid event reported that they were raising in line or more than their budget for the year. So great, we definitely wanna focus on in-person and hybrid. But I think Steve touched on this point a little bit. The good part about this is that people are listening to donors. Uh, he mentioned some earlier research we had done. We did a giving experience study earlier in the year where we get donor perspective on everything. Mm -hmm. And in that particular report, 56% of event donors said that they wanted some sort of virtual option. So I think that's something that's really important for nonprofits of all sizes to listen to, especially, especially those small and mid-sized shops. We understand that hosting a hybrid event is a lot of work. <laughs> it's it's tough. We held our race conference with hybrid this last year, and it was hard. <laughs> so definitely empathize with that. And but you've got to listen. It's worth the effort. If your donors are telling you this is what they want, give it a shot. Look at that event calendar. See if you can fit in some sort of virtual option in there somewhere if it's not on there now, um, because that's what people are saying they want to do this year. And of course, keep an eye on the news because we know I've been hearing from here and there. Yeah. You know, there's some some number numbers going back up with COVID cases. Fingers crossed. Of course, we don't want anything to happen, but in the event that it does, it's good to have that in your back pocket as an option for your donors. Sarah, do you think it's worth surveying? Absolutely. Or or do or are donors like is everybody going to say I want the hybrid option, but then mm -hmm. you know, the fewer That's people actually sign up yep. for it once it's offered? Everybody wants the option, mm -hmm. and then we set it up. We spend the money on yep. the production and the platform, mm -hmm. and and then a disappointing number of people actually. Mm -hmm. subscribe to it join the stream what, what, what do you what do you think yeah i agree with that that is kind of a sticking point when planning events as well i but if people have been telling us this is what they want give it a shot if it's a total flop then you know <laughs> but i do agree that surveying yeah. finding out what people want to do sometimes people are going to say yes and then they change their minds i mean people change their minds all the time you never know but we have had customers who have said when they did offer that virtual option they even wound up just getting donations from people who couldn't attend the event in person and didn't wind up, you know, going the virtual route. So offering that donation option along with that registration could be a possible solution to that as well to make up some of that if people decide they're not going to go the virtual route. Okay. I I saw that um, the the fundraising the the priorities mm -hmm. looking forward are consistent with the challenges. So that's. Mm -hmm. That's good. Our our community is aligned with what they see, where they see problems, and where they know they have to focus. So, ninety seven percent of of your respondents said that uh, donor acquisition is going to be a, yep. a key focus. I mean, that you know, you may as well call it one hundred percent. And, and <laughs> yeah. nine, right, if we're going to round eight ninety to nine hundred, we could certainly round ninety seven to one hundred. Mm -hmm. um, and ninety six percent, right, is right there too. Said donor retention mm -hmm. is a is a key focus area. So. It, it's gratifying to see that priorities are in line with the challenges. We're, we're rational. We're all rational. <laughs> it makes the community sense. Community is rationally yep. actor. A bunch of rational actors. Mm -hmm. um, outside of those, I wanted to run through the top priorities really quickly because there's some interesting differences in how folks rated those. So you touched on the top two. Um, next up was increasing funds from existing campaigns, and that was that was pretty high as well. 93% uh, said that there was their priority, and these were ranked as critical or, or important by folks who responded. Um, then there's kind of a drop in the rate here. New ways to fundraise came in at about 82%. 
Uh, a little bit above that was operational efficiency and effectiveness at 84. And I find that kind of interesting mm-hmm. because, you know, if if you're focusing on operational efficiency and effectiveness, there's probably going to be a little bit more time in your day to focus on donor acquisition and retention. But it's there's kind of this vicious cycle and all of these little things that go into that because we just talked about people being short on resources, short on time, so they can't get to focusing on the operational efficiency. So I think there's some work to be done in figuring out how to uh, address all of these challenges and priorities in a way that's beneficial to everybody, and especially for these small and mid-sized shops that are struggling with the resources. And I know Steve and I have talked about new ways to fundraise and how that can help with the donor retention and the acquisition as well. Steve, did you want to? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the diamond in the rough as far as i'm concerned because we're looking at it this is nothing shiny at this point it's 82 percent uh, for new raise to fundraise when we're looking at 97 percent for donor acquisition but it's very possible that the new ways to fundraise and and i think what we tend to do tony we tend to imagine the worst possible scenario right if i look into a new way to fundraise it's going to take loads more time that I don't have. It's going to take a lot more effort that, that I just am not ready to give. It's going to, it's going to expose me to all kinds of distractions. Uh-uh. Now let's go back to something Sarah said. How about we start small? There are, there are uh, uh, fundraising uh, platforms available that allow you to break out of just the event type of fundraising and weave in elements of peer-to-peer, weave in elements of social fundraising, be able to tie together your online with your event efforts so that perhaps you are able to, by using new ways to fundraise, acquire new donors, retain some of those same donors because you're doing it in a slightly different way where you might actually engage them differently. So I would I would encourage your audience to consider, okay, what is available to me that I might be able to try a slightly different way to fundraise engage a slightly different audience. And in fact, I may end up acquiring those new donors and retaining my current donors at the end of the day, even better. All right. What else? Uh, we have some, some uh, good amount of time left if we if we like. Any any other stuff that uh, we haven't talked about that uh, you, you, you think is important for folks to know? Anything else from the study? Let me just remind folks, you can get it at uh, onecause.com slash research. It's the 2023 fundraising outlook. Perfect. Anything uh, else we want? I th- I, I'll add something. Let's go back. Let's go back to challenges real quick, just for just for a minute. And um, this, Please. Go ahead. this is going to sound this is going to sound a little bit uh, perhaps initially uh, on the negative side, but I'm going to try to turn it into a little bit of a sunrise uh, for us and end on something inspirational. Um, I've, I've had the privilege of running this survey for, I think I said five years now, five or six years. And one of the things, Tony, that we do is we take that question around challenges. And we we talked about this, right? Donor uh, fatigue, donor engagement, retention, recurring giving, et cetera. And, and there are 13 different challenges that we ask nonprofit respondents to rate individually. So we can track those as individual challenges. We can also track them as a collective level of challenge that the nonprofit says, hey, this is my overall uh, level of challenge this year. We take that average across the entire respondent base, we'll call it 900, 
And we'll, we'll link that back to what things look like in 2021. And we can compare that average as well to 2020 and to 2019. And what's really interesting to me, so two points. First one, again, perhaps on the surface, a little negative, uh, is that those challenges are getting more intense. The average of those 13 challenges year over year, the relative rating of those challenges is increasing year over year over year. Mm -hmm. I would have thought initially that 2020 would have been <laughs> defining the ceiling and perhaps 2021 a little less and 2022 a little less. That's not the trend. The trend is actually showing more intense challenges for our nonprofits. The good news is that we have data like this report and other reports out there that help us focus in on that right step, that, that next right step, and how to understand, as Sarah was saying, to find that one metric. Maybe it's around recurring giving. Uh, maybe it's around looking at my, my uh, uh, tech acquisition. Uh, there's all kinds of things in this report that we're not obviously covering in, in uh, these few minutes, but take this report Find that one or two next steps that you can actionably move against in 2023 and watch yourself move, be pulled out of those challenges in that one area. Are you going to improve every area? Probably not, because not one of us can do everything. But the good news is that we have a clear path to make good decisions to see what our peers are doing with through research reports like this, see what the rest of the nonprofit world is doing, where they're succeeding, and we can point our ship there and really look to succeed, even if it's in small ways in 2023. So that's that's probably my my uh, my message of hope and inspiration using something as as uh, as vanilla as data, but boy, it really opens up the opportunity for us to see what we need to do next, what step we want to take and where we can make uh, progress in the next year. Mm -hmm. I, Sarah, anything uh, sure. that sounds like, you know, the way one cause hopes that you will use their, their <laughs> 2023 fundraising outlook. Sarah, sure, what would you yeah. like to leave us with? I, I kind of wanted to touch on, Steve mentioned tech acquisition, and there's something in the report about shifts in nonprofit technology investment. I would love for people to kind of look at the particular chart for that, think about it, um, I'm looking at it right now on my other monitor, actually, and there are 36% of nonprofits saying that they're going to invest more in marketing automation. So that's kind of in line with, you know, the donor acquisition piece we were talking about and the challenges, et cetera. And I'm interested to see, you know, what is the ROI on this once this year happens? How did people use it? Was it effective for them? Did they feel like they had enough training? Were they able to use it? Because I don't really want people to fall into that hole of here's the data and now I don't know what to do with it. So I'm interested to see if there are enough resources out there for folks related to that marketing automation. Are they getting the training they need to know how to use it effectively? Um, but I'm just interested to see next year's results, I guess is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> but I do kind of want to echo Steve's message. I, I want nonprofits to know they're not lonely islands. There are other nonprofits out there who are obviously facing similar challenges and looking for solutions. Talk to other nonprofits, talk to your peers. Uh, something that may have worked for them may work for you. Something that worked for you may work for them. So really rely on your community to talk through solutions that you've been working through and share the wealth of those ideas because we're all in it for the same reason. And that's to make lives better uh, for everyone. So definitely share the knowledge. All right. 
methods, messages of hope and inspiration <laughs> from, from two directors at one cause, Sarah Sebastian, director of corporate communications, Steve Lausch, director of product marketing. The company is at one cause and at onecause.com. The report is the 2023 fundraising outlook. Steve, Sarah, Sarah, Steve, thank you very much. Real pleasure. Thanks, Thanks for, for having, having us. Me. Appreciate it. Next week, purchasing pro tips. If you missed any part of this week's show, I beseech you, find it at TonyMartinetti.com. Our creative producer is Claire Meyerhoff. The show's social media is by Susan Chavez. Mark Silverman is our web guy. And this music is by Scott Stein. Thank you for that affirmation, Scotty. Be with me next week for Nonprofit Radio, big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Go out and be great.